0: Hey everybody, this is ETS on the grid. I am your host Dylan Lockwood. Joining me this week from down in Z Prime's offices in Austin, Texas, is my regular co-host Erin Hardick, and she's got some cool Z Prime people with her. Aaron, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, Dylan. How are you?
0: Doing fantastic, Erin. How are things going down at the office?
1: They're pretty good. We actually were doing some troubleshooting with our internet. Thank goodness Chris Holt is here. Um, But we're also joined by our head of VR and AR, Jorge Ortiz, and VR AR strategist, Becca Diaz, who I'm excited to hear from. These folks have been working on something at Z Prime that you, Dylan, you and I don't. Uh, get much insight into and it's really exciting to you know to have them here today to talk about some of the work they've been doing
0: yeah and we're all really excited to hear from them Uh, Chris Holt how is my favorite digital media manager
2: Uh, it's going pretty good you know the cedar fever is bad but the VR fever is better
0: Jorge Ortiz, our head of VR-AR. How are you doing today?
3: I um, miscalculated how cold it was going to be today, so i <laughs> just to stay warm.
0: And Becca Diaz, our AR-VR strategist. How's it going today, Becca?
4: I'm very excited to be here. I'm doing fantastic. It was a good morning.
0: So Jorge, we'll start with you as the head of the whole project. So what actually are augmented reality and virtual reality in the context of our industry?
3: I'll um, start with augmented reality uh, because it resembles more what we normally see every day um, augmented reality is essentially what you're looking at except that you have some superimposed information uh, for example if you're looking at a cup of coffee maybe you you have a superimposed uh, reviews on how cool that cup of coffee is as you're watching it through your phone and uh, on the other hand virtual reality is when you are looking at nothing but virtual elements uh, and that usually includes being inside a headset um it, it provides a different experience i like how becca describes it in which uh, ar is like uh, looking uh, at a movie watching a movie and vr is like being an actor in the movie
1: that's a really good way to describe it i i would imagine y'all get this question quite often do you do people ask you a lot, you know, what is the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality?
4: Yes, because it's still so new. People, they, they don't know yet. If they haven't experienced virtual
1: reality, they, they have no idea. So, you just mentioned it is, it's new technology. A lot of people don't know that much about it. How did both of you get into this area?
3: Um. Like most Austinites, I moved into Austin, Um, and then um, when I was here, I figured um, I'll check out this new thing that I've heard about VR. I went to a meetup, I waited in line for 25 minutes, and when I tested it, I uh, let go within a few seconds, and I told the guy, the guy that was showing it was like, you don't want to try it for longer? I'm like, nope, I'm buying one of these tonight, (laughs) and I did.
4: (laughs) Uh, For me, it actually all started with dancing. Before Z Prime and working with Jorge, I was the director at a nonprofit studio. And at Dance International is actually where I met Jorge, where he invited me to start creating uh, Dance Virtual, which was our virtual reality dance lessons.
1: And Chris, did you get into VRAR just through Z Prime? Did you have any previous experience with the technology?
2: Uh, I never had previous experience actually getting my hands on the programming side or doing anything like that. I've been a longtime gamer for my whole life. So when Z Prime brought on Jorge and Becca, I knew that was something I really wanted to be a part of. And it, it's been really amazing to work with them and see what they've been able to make.
1: So you were just like a nerd on staff.
2: Exactly. <laughs> That's my
0: official title here at Z Prime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> on staff nerd.
0: So Jorge, you got kind of in on the ground floor of this technology. What lessons do you learn early on that you're applying to your work now?
3: The main lesson was that it's a very fast moving field. Um, I look back at the first experience that I made and it's uh, obsolete in terms of content and it's obsolete in terms of the platform that I developed it in nobody uses it anymore. So it's interesting to think that what we're doing right now, you know, we're trying to catch up the technology, but at the same time, in two years, whatever we're doing right now is gonna be replaced by the next best thing.
0: So you've taken those lessons and applied them to what we're working on now. Can you tell me what are we working on now? Um,
3: sure, right now we're trying to uh, make it easier for our customers to know what they can do in VR by making a small portfolio of just some, some wacky ideas, some other more realistic uh, apps, uh, but just trying to expand um, imagination, essentially, because VR can be anything you want to be. Uh, and that's what we're doing uh, right now. Uh, on more concrete uh, apps that we've been making, uh, we've been doing uh, a VR film, which has interesting elements of creativity and experimentation with, you know, instead of actually resembling reality, we wanted to make something more interesting about it.
0: That's interesting. Uh, Chris, I have a question. Can you walk us through what one of our programs like actually looks like one of the ones that we're currently demoing?
2: Yeah. So one of the, um, more popular demos that we've been showing off, um, when we take our VR on the road is our lighting challenge demo. It's real simple. You're in a city block and behind you is an unpowered uh, stadium. And you're trying to share the power um, from the city block with the stadium. And so you essentially you have an empty energy canister in your hand and you're going to be looking around at the city and you'll see the areas where you can grab the energy from and you take the canister, you gather the energy, and then you give it back to the stadium and it becomes this really fast paced game of how fast can you get energy back to the stadium Um, and so we show that one off a lot and people tend to get really excited about it (laughs) especially because Jorge had the great idea we added a speed round at the end and that gets people um, going really fast in the demo.
1: So let's talk about how you guys actually would build one of these programs for a customer. Can you talk about you know like how you construct and assemble the assets and then you know, what you can do to customize um, some of these potential programs for potential customers?
4: Uh, So we get a lot of assets from databases online. Like we could create them ourselves in uh, 3D software, but a lot of other people have already published a lot of great content. So we'll import that into our virtual reality software and we'll start from there. A lot of it is editable right until the very end unless it's something like the entire storyline or if it has some of the logic has a lot to do with timing so some of some of that is more difficult not impossible just it takes longer to edit or um like the terrain itself like when you're when you're in vr and you see like a you know you're you're standing on a floor more often than not and you're looking around uh your boundaries there if you're changing those that's more that's, a diff- that's more difficult to change later on in the process.
3: Once the visuals are done, uh, it's a lot easier for the customer uh, to look at it and say like, oh, okay, this is the message that I want to push across now that you know, there's a nice environment around it. And then uh, you know, we'll do voiceovers, uh, sound effects, music, all sorts of, of things depending on what they want
1: do you find that customers today so going back to you know just how new this technology is and the fact that you get asked what it is mm-hmm. pretty often do you find that customers can even like be that constructive and helping you customize and articulate like what they want or is there kind of a lot of back and forth because they don't really understand the language and how to you know tell you how they want things to be done Is that a difficulty that you guys face pretty often?
4: I think it really depends on the personality of the customers. Some of them do know exactly what they want. Some of them are like, I'm not sure what I want. Can you show us some stuff? Can we talk through a couple ideas? So uh, just like making anything else that's, there is, for some people, there is a lot more back and forth. For other people, they're like, this is what I want. And we go, "Okay, and we do it.
2: I also find like one of the harder concepts for people who aren't fully immersed in the VR scene is that with VR, we can really build anything. And trying to get that point across, a lot of people are under the assumption that there's constraints to what we can create in a program. And trying to say, no, we can actually do this, that, and that. We can do everything. Um, it takes them a while to get that until we actually have that first demo iteration out.
3: But when they do, it's a very, very amusing. Um, I remember I was talking to, to someone who was wanting a VR app. He's him Bobby for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, were, we were literally saying, you know, back and forth, like, what are we going to do about this? And he said, like, wait, can we just go to space? Because I like space. And it took me aback. A you yeah, know like, well, there's going to be a lot of work. And then, just like Chris said, it's like, There's no reason why we can't, it's virtual reality, so let's go, let's go do it. That was nice, because that was all their creative power saying, let's leverage uh, the platform of VR for our advantage.
0: So you guys have been to a number of different conventions, events, uh, all sorts of things I've seen you out there, rocking the demo booths. What's some of the feedback you've gotten from people that have tried out your programs at these demo booths and through other channels
4: I think the most common feedback I get is wow this is so cool (laughs) Uh, which is good because if you're not getting that response from people in virtual when they do your virtual reality experience you're not doing it right
1: have you ever had anybody every time I put on the headset I feel like I'm gonna fall over have you ever had somebody actually like fall over
2: So we had this one instance going back to the demo Jorge was actually talking about um, Mm. where at the end of the demo it actually you are in a car that blasts off into space. And this was very early on when we were just getting started as a company doing the VR things and we ended up getting someone in that demo and as soon as the car started taking off this lady immediately said, this is too real, I need someone to grab me. Please hold on to me right now. Oh my gosh! And that's kind of a compliment to how immersive it is, but it also opened our eyes to, oh, we need to be careful, this is immersive, we need to give warnings, we need to start being more safe with this. Um, But she was fine, it was good, she loved the app, but I always remembered that reaction.
3: There's some things that we also don't plan until, you know, it's like demo day, Um, I'm just 5'6", so I modeled the car, the inside of the car after me. And then someone who was about almost 7 feet tall (laughs) sat on the car, and his head was on top of the roof, not even able to see the controls. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I need to compensate for a hike now. I understand that. Uh, Another time, I was uh, demoing at um, the University of Texas, which is a younger crowd, and they're used to technology. So I was expecting a... You know, oh, being there, done that sort of um, reaction to it, and uh, so this this college girl comes in. She's very excited. She puts on the headset, and uh, suddenly she goes like, you know, very stiff, like oh. you know. And I, and I try to figure out if she's enjoying the the, the experience, uh, just making sure that she's comfortable, but she doesn't say anything. So she finishes, and I'm almost hesitant. I ask. Um, Was that fun? Did you enjoy it? And she just looks at me like this with this weird stare and that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my (laughs) life. So that was quite a compliment because, you know, kids nowadays, this is technology to me, you know, I didn't grow up with with any of this. And uh, so they kind of do and they're still thinking that this is amazing. So it's a lot to say about that.
1: It's almost like, because you guys work with it so often, not you take for granted how immersive and real it feels because you have such a constant interaction with the technology. Whereas for people who don't, and they do get in, the head, put the headset on, it, they can be really taken aback because it's not something that they're nearly as familiar with. And then, Jorge, like you were saying, you just assume that younger generations, they've interacted with the technology so much that they're not going to be you know, surprised by how realistic it can be. But it mm-hmm. sounds like you still have those interactions, which is really, really interesting because if it's happening to younger generations, then it's certainly going to be happening to older generations who are probably going to end up being the folks who are using our technology, seeing that our, you know, target audience are utilities and energy companies where demographics, workforce demographics are typically people over the age of 30, 40, more, more along the lines of 40 and 50. So it'll be interesting to see how they react to it once it's kind of in their workplace and how long it takes for them to really feel comfortable with consistently using it.
0: That's a good point. That pretty much is the key to whether or not new technologies get adopted. Um, But switching gears for a second, I think we should address the elephant in the room here, which is that Z-Prime historically has been a research company, media company, events company. We're not usually known for working in software, working with technology, so why did we decide to go in this direction? Why is Prime getting into VR, AR?
3: I guess in the um, Prime is a relationship company. So once we get into a partnership with someone, uh, we want to use all of our resources, mostly media, but we also um, explore other avenues, in this case VR, to get their message across, right? They have an audience that they want to connect with. Uh, some of them are tech savvy. Uh, others are not others are really curious about VR so we figured what's the best way to disperse a message than having people want to hear that message because this technology is so 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 impressive Um,
4: oh yeah so like like you said Jorge like Prime being like a relationship company like VR I think they're using we are using it to like further um, clients outreach to their customers how to engage like when we did the charge the car thing? How many how many kids have ever seen it, heard about it, and now we gave them the opportunity to?
1: I so I remember when I first met you guys or first saw mm-hmm. VR with you guys there, and we we were at one of our events. It was our startup competition, I believe, It was Start at ETS about mm-hmm. two years ago, two years three years ago now three others. three years ago. <laughs> And you guys were working on the the um, your virtual. It was the dancing that mm-hmm. VR, and then f- fast forward a few months later, and you guys are at a retreat because Jason had asked you to come and be part of Z Prime and work in energy. <laughs> Can you talk about you know like what your thought process was when Jason approached you and said, "Hey, what do you think about doing this in the energy space?" What was your initial reaction, and did you think you know this is something I can definitely do? Were you hesitant? What, what was that What was that experience like?
3: Uh, my reaction was I was really glad because I had been working on the same project for about a year, so just the prospect of doing like, "Hey, let's do a bunch of small." Experiences about what the what the electrical uh, linemen do or some others, um, you know, energy related experiences. That was so far out from my experience as a well, yes a, like a regular engineer and dance teacher, that I welcomed it. Um, it it was really it was really nice to make those experiences. And now that I'm more in a, a permanent role here, I uh, guess the prospect of doing more and more of this uh, and you can kind of get wacky with it as well Uh, even especially with gamification of experiences that's that's really interesting i really like that
4: i thought it was awesome like i couldn't believe it when we first met when we first met jason and he was inviting us to like share what we've worked on and to work on other verticals i was like wow this is this is great and it forced me as you know like my primary role at dance virtual was dancing and strategizing and Working on some of the projects for Z-Prime allowed me to uh, learn a lot more about the, I don't want to use the word coding because that's not exactly what's happening, but it might be you know easier for people to envision like the actual software and using it and making things happen and making things look cool.
1: I want to get into, you, you guys both mentioned, so you mentioned like gamification. When you started working at Z-Prime, you had more of that element. You were working kind of more in that element within VR. Becca, you mentioned that we are focused on delivering you know customer experience especially for utilities who traditionally don't know how to engage Customers. It's only been within the past 10 years that utilities have transitioned from calling their customers rate payers to actually just referring to them as customers. They used to just be rate payers because that's all the relationship meant to them. They were just simply people who paid them money for their electricity, whereas now you have customer profiles and different demographics and utilities need to understand people more and figure out ways to engage them. So what can our customers expect from um, Z Prime's VR and AR? What do you think is kind of that overall driving message that makes the Z Prime product so unique? Well, for
4: other AR, VR companies, like if you look at them, all you're gonna see is just a ton of engineers People working with the software. When you look at Z Prime, you're gonna see, you know, our team right here, Chris Jorge and me, and you're also gonna see the researcher part of that, and you're gonna see the networking. You know, the people who are keeping up with what's trending, and you don't have that at the other companies.
2: I think one of the other things that makes Z Prime so unique, um, when we're talking about VR in the energy industry, is we're also the only company. In the energy industry making VR. Every other company that has VR, they're outsourcing it to other companies that don't understand our industry the way we do. We have experts on our team, and I really think that's what gives us the Z-Prime difference.
1: Right, that's what I gather. When, you know, Jason and Mark, our co-founders and CEO and managing director, talk about media and how Z Prime is a creating these different ways for people to interact, whether that's consuming information via a report, an infographic, or a webinar. VR is now just another way for us as experts in what's going on in energy to articulate that message to customers and utilities. It's just like another way to, I view it as another way for us to communicate with people and engage people. And so that's kind of like how I think our VR is different. You know, I've been to plenty of trade shows and seen VR and AR and it's from, you know, big companies, but they don't really understand how to make the actual content within the program to be, engaging enough for people to care and so that's how i see z prime as being unique but then again that's just my perspective (laughs) as a researcher on the research team i agree with that
0: well i'm just really appreciative that chris said the z prime difference
2: (laughs) had to get that one in there for you dylan
0: (laughs) so anyway to kind of bring it home a bit i'm curious what this technology what developing this what working on it means to you uh, and that can be a personal thing it can be an industry thing it can be about the technology I'm, I'm just curious uh, to get your thoughts as members of the VR team what doing this work means to you.
3: I think uh, that VR is uh, uncharted territory right so you can either avoid it or you could um, take advantage of it, right? It's uh, a way to expand to other uh, other venues, for other mediums that you didn't have before. And I think that's uh, essentially what we've been doing ever since we started getting uh, mobile cell phones, smartphones and the like. Technology is always going to be evolving. So uh, we can either try to resist it or embrace it, and I think by embracing it, we're stepping ahead of the curve, and you know, staying relevant to, well, to the world really.
1: I don't want to get too off track because I definitely want to hear Becca and Chris's answer to that, but. It- Jorge, you mentioned something which I think is really important and essentially it's the technology adoption curve so they're the, the early adopter the innovators the early adopters the, the late majority and then the laggards the late majority and the laggards being the people who aren't going to use it until somebody else has proved that it works and they mm-hmm. just need they need they're not going to be the ones pioneering but that means that they come with a so- certain, aspect of skepticism and I'm sure you guys deal with that when you're demoing have you had people come up to you have you had to have conversations where someone's just like I just don't believe it like I just don't think it will ever happen have you had those conversations and then how do you kind of address that
3: in um, generally I put them in the headset and they quiet down those, uh, <laughs> those that anxiety really fast uh, but that's true it's it's a new technology um, what, what is it that is going to prevent it from following the fate of 3D TVs, right? Um, but it, the, 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 the redlining is that it's, people are adopting it and uh, companies are actually uh, taking risks to, to make people adopt. Right now, um, I, really, I don't know if you... We, we talked about gaming earlier and uh, there's this game called Half-Life that's been around forever. And as soon as they released, I think after 10 years, they released a new version of their game. Everybody's excited about it. And guess what? They said, we're just going to make it in VR because this is the future. Within two days, all the VR headsets that we supported were sold out. Which is annoying because wow. I was wanted to get one of those mm-hmm. for myself, personally. And it's been a um, couple of months. And so... so People are adopting it. And people who were naysayers saying, oh, you know, I'll, VR would never be a good gaming platform. Well, you know, if there's only one, once they have to put their money where their mouth is, they're saying like, well, I'll give it a try. I, th- I think it's worth it.
4: Just the other day I was dancing at the studio and a guy was and he was asking me about what I do and I was telling him about virtual reality. It, it, he was listening to about like how people were using it and he was telling me that like all the ideas running through his head were negative. He's like, why, why would people want to use it? It doesn't make sense to me. It's just like a gimmick or whatever, it's gonna die soon. And I told him, I was like, yeah, sure, have your own thoughts. Like, but I didn't know him, right? So and I told him, I was like, yeah, but when you think about Like, the the training aspect. And I was talking to him about the helicopter stuff that we were going to start. And I was uh, talking about just all the resources that you can save. Not only time, but, um, like, physical resources. And by the end of the conversation, without even having to put him into the headset, he was kind of like, "Ah, yeah, okay, well, I kind of see it now, I guess. But I think he was just being a... He was trying to be difficult, I
1: think. (laughs) Push your buttons. Yeah, I think so. So it sounds like you kind of it's we're getting to the point where you kind of have to explain that it's not just a game like there's actual benefits to the technology outside of just having i think that's a
4: big thing because the gamers made it like to the news they made it popular people are like oh vr is a game like no this isn't a game boy this is technology it's like when you use your phone you don't only use it for gaming right? right you Use it for multiple functions. VR is the
2: same. Get back to that point on skepticism. I think people don't really understand the history of VR and realize how long this technology has actually been around. It's been around for almost 40 years. Yeah, I think the 70s, the military was, mm-hmm. was using it. Yeah, so the late 70s, it really kind of came around. It didn't really hit arcades until the late 80s. Um, it kind of dipped away after that. During the 90s we started seeing it used in military training, Uh, there was another resurgence, early 2000s it starts coming back to arcades and then boom all of a sudden we have headsets and all this stuff and the only real factor for why VR didn't take off so mainstream before was cost of production and we're kind of at that point where it's actually pretty feasible to mass produce these at a reasonable price. And it's only gonna get cheaper. There's more competitors every day. I mean, we're included in that. And I just, I can't see a world where VR isn't in it. It's, uh to, to get back to uh, what Jorge was saying, everyone who's been kind of a naysayer at our demos, if you can get the headset on them, they stop naysaying. <laughs> it's really been that simple.
0: I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, we all want the holodeck, don't we?
3: And, you know, uh, you know you're referring to the Star Trek, and I was thinking about this earlier, that, the uh, like, I don't know how they call it anymore, Universal Communicator, that they had a science fiction back then?
0: Yeah, the, the translator, right? Yeah,
3: as a smartphone right now, and, you know, what we consider sci-fi to be, you know, still holodeck, that, that's coming to us pretty fast as well.
1: Dylan, haven't we had a conversation on one of our on one of the episodes where we talk about how like science fiction in inadvertently or directly like shapes technology and the way technology is designed. You know, you see these things as a kid and then you grow up and you wanna make that thing that was science fiction into reality. And so it kind of sounds like that's what's happening with this technology.
0: Yeah, that was Amir, uh, Amir Hussein from Spark Cognition, who was talking about that way back when. Um, good memory. I remember he was talking about how he spends an inordinate amount of time staving off comparisons of his work in AI with various malevolent artificial intelligences from film and TV. Um, but I, I think I know your larger point is here, which is that if you look at something like VR... Um, kind of what Becca said, it starts off, you know, as a means of generating fantasy, fulfilling fantasies, living out fantasies. But then once more people get their hands on the technology, start working with it, then all of a sudden you're finding more applications. And that's, I think, what we're trying to do here.
4: It makes sense that like the sci-fi is like what we desire to do with technology. So then that becomes a goal that engineers are aiming for
1: makes a lot of sense. Chris is our on staff nerd and Jorge, (laughs) I mean this in the most endearing way. You seem rather nerdy yourself. What (laughs) what would you say is one of the most I guess like inspirational things in science fiction or things that you guys saw growing up that really inspire you to create and work in technology. Something that you guys were like, man, if I could make that come to life, if I could make that real, that would be amazing. Is there anything like that that sticks out in your mind? Or is there anybody, like any influential character in your childhood that made you think like, oh, I really want to get into technology and science?
3: I'll show my age a little, but uh, uh, MacGyver, I guess, was uh, kind of a cool hero that didn't use guns a little bit of history. He's just like a, a jack of all trades, so he has some problem and he'll use a toothpick, some bubble gum and, a, you know, foiling paper to diffuse a bomb, um, but there was some, you know, some science explanation behind all that and I thought that is so cool, um, you know, and it made me think, how, how do things work, because this guy knows how things work and how to make them not work, uh, so that was an early inspiration for me, just being able to solve these crazy puzzles um, with very uh, interesting methods.
1: Okay, Chris, a different question for you. What was the first like game you played or game, I don't, I'm not, I'm not nerdy, like uh, gaming console <laughs> or thing, gadget that you use that so you're like, this is really Sega. cool.
2: Sega. <laughs> uh, I mean, I got a Sega uh, <laughs> as, can, can you do that again, Becca? <laughs> What is a Sega? <laughs> Sega Genesis. Back in the days of the 90s, Xbox and PlayStation didn't have a monopoly on gaming and Nintendo. Um, there were a whole bunch of other uh, gaming machines, and Sega was one of them. It was a little 16-bit machine. Um, looked a lot like the Nintendo. Uh, most notably, Sonic comes from it. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I grew up with that. I grew up with games. um, And then even into my adolescence, I played video games competitively for money, which is a real thing. You should look up esports if you've never heard of it. (laughs) Um, And it just really kind of made me understand that, hey... Technology can be used for so much more than mainstream media is showing it off to be?
4: Uh, This might be a little different than the question you asked, but I was just thinking about how uh, for my son, he's almost two, and there's a lot of discussion in my mommy groups I'm a part of about technology and how it's going to be used for our children. And there are some people who are definitely afraid of it and they don't want to use it. And there's the other side of us going like, y'all have to stop being afraid. (laughs) Like it's... You you can use technology as a distraction, or you can use technology as a as a tool, and you have to know how to use that tool in order to uh, to to benefit from it. But I also use technology, uh, or like the TV screen as a discre- as a dis- as a distraction, and that is my tool. Because like when my toddler is really upset or he's having a tantrum, he sits down and he starts playing with my AR app that I've made for him. You know, or. <laughs> Uh, you know, I can't wait until he can be in virtual reality. Like, I wish I could put the little headset on him, but I know that he would just—he's not ready yet. He needs to be a little older. He's only—he'll
1: be two on Thursday. Oh wow! Ooh. Well, that, I really like that. You, technology can be a distraction or a tool, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's kind of been like the premise of most of this conversation: is how do you articulate to that to people? How do you articulate that it can be valuable and helpful and be used as a tool to? help train people or help in, in educate consumers or, or whatever it may be.
4: I think it's also important to realize that sometimes using it as a distraction is also very important because that helps you like uh, maybe calm down from like a really bad day or something. Like you need to sort of just disassociate from what's going on around you. So both I think are insanely valuable. Even the distraction, you know, might have like mm-hmm. negative connotation to it.
0: Well, Becca, that's certainly food for thought. Uh, Thank you for that insight, and thank you also for coming here and talking with us today about your work in VR.
4: Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was awesome.
0: Thanks, Dylan. Thanks, Dylan. And Aaron, thank you for helping facilitate discussion and for wrangling our coworkers.
1: Of course. We have um, our new mic, my new mic. So Z Prime is really stepping up their podcast game, some new equipment, so our listeners should be really excited about this upcoming year, my audio quality
0: yes new year new us um but anyways you can find our research and media at zprime.com our revamped website actually thanks to chris holt here for helping design that you can find us on social media at dylockwood, lockwood at aaron Hardick, at zprime underscore research also uh Aaron and I, and I believe Jorge as well, are going to be at Distributech next week in San Antonio, Texas. So if you see us on the floor, please uh, come by, say hello. Uh, maybe we can even get a little recording of you. Um, and make sure. And if you're not going, make sure to follow us on social media so that you can see what we're up to while we're down there. Also, City of the Future registration is uh, still open. That's coming up in February. 27th and 28th in San Antonio as well. To find out more about that event including a lineup and how to register go to cityofthefuture.io. My name is Dylan and we'll see you all next time.